0: Rob Sagel has served with the Columbus Division of Police for 23 years. He has served in the Patrol Bureau as well as the Special Operations Bureau. He's currently assigned as Deputy Chief of the Special Operations Bureau, which includes SWAT, the Helicopter Unit, Organized Crime, Homeland Security, and the Traffic Bureaus. You're listening to First Responders Bridge, the podcast.
1: Welcome back to First Responders Bridge, the podcast. All of our listeners are uh, very special to us, and we appreciate you taking time to listen to our podcast and, and the interviews with our special guests. We'd like to point out that if you like what you hear, uh, whatever platform you might listen to First Responders Bridge, the podcast on, if you'd leave us a five-star rating, that would help a great deal. Uh, I'd like to read one review for you from termite Ten. Uh, it's titled, Amazing, So Glad Someone is Bringing Attention to Mental Health. If you'd leave us a five-star review and you like what you hear at First Responders Bridge, the podcast, we would greatly appreciate it. We're going to roll right into today's interview with Rob Sagal. Uh Rob, we really appreciate you joining us tonight. Would you mind taking a few minutes and just tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, what
2: got you to enter the law enforcement career? What brought you to law enforcement? Well, first of all, I want to thank everybody for having me. Uh, This is a great experience to be able to sit around and talk about something that we all care deeply about, and that's the mental health of first responders. Um, I entered uh, law enforcement. Um, It wasn't a lifelong dream of mine. Uh, It was actually as I was going through college at Ohio State, uh, my junior year, I had a friend who just mentioned out of the blue that he was taking a the civil service exam for the police department and asked if I wanted to, uh, if if that ever interested me. Uh, I didn't know too much about it, so asked a bunch of questions, and I had originally planned on going to law school, and everything was kind of going that path, but uh, I I once I talked to him a little bit more about it, I became interested, and I went ahead and signed up and went and took the civil service test, and timing just fell on my side where— a year later, when I was getting ready to graduate or decide what move I was going to make next, uh, I got a call from the police department, and at that point, I was all in. It wasn't going to be one of those things. I was just trying out. Uh, I was going to give it my all and make it a career.
1: That's great. We appreciate that. Appreciate you sharing that. Um, you're so involved in wellness, um, both in the city of Columbus and I think uh, personally, uh, we've We've done some breakouts together at our retreats, and I always take to heart the things that you share uh, with first responders. And uh, I know I see people furiously taking notes when you uh, offer suggestions, and so uh, we appreciate that. Um, One of the things that we do talk about at our retreats uh, when it comes to stress in first responders is something some people have heard about, some people have never heard of it, but administrative stress. Um, is something that I think impacts certainly police officers and I think all uh, first responders. Um, and can you talk a little bit, a little bit about um, administrative stress and what that does to people and
2: the different kinds that might be out there? So administrative stress weighs on leaders a, a good bit. Um, there comes a reality that we care about our officers and we care about them being successful, healthy, and happy. Um, it affects us when we see things going off for them, whether it's that they're going down a wrong path, um, whether we see uh, issues that are arising, whether they're personal issues or work-related issues. And as administrators, we know that we may also have to hold that person accountable, which adds that extra layer of stress to us because we care about them and their, their health. But on the flip side, we still have a job to do to make sure that they're working up to the standards that we hold them to, and uh, it, it's, it can get very complex.
0: Rob, do you feel comfortable talking a little bit about some of your own experiences with, you know, admin stress and how that's affected your role as a leader?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, sometimes police-involved shootings uh, can be good examples of, you know, that balance of um, administrative stress and mm. how we handle that, because what, what we'll do is, you know, We'll, we'll see what they went through, and we obviously want to make sure that they're getting help. And then on the flip side, our job as leaders of a law enforcement agency is to ensure that – make sure that we're holding people accountable, making sure we're doing the right things. So we kind of, again, have, have, have to balance um, you know, how much we can say to the officer because, again, we're not sure of all the details of exactly the circumstances of what happened right away. Uh, we care about their health and well-being and getting them the appropriate help. Um, we would love to be that person that's, you know, uh, giving them all the words of encouragement we can give them, but at the same time, we also have to understand that we weren't there at the scene, and we don't know all the facts, and we don't know how it's going to play out exactly, uh, you know, in the courts, and the public eye, throughout the entire investigative process, and that just adds a lot of stresses.
0: Sure, sure, and I'm sure it's, uh, for a lot of the people listening, it's refreshing to hear an administrator or somebody higher up say, you know, that they're they understand, you know, what you guys go through, and they're able to say, hey, we're here for you. We appreciate what you guys are doing. I know at a lot of places, you don't get the support from your administration, your administrative side, right? So to be able to hear that, and say, hey, we got you guys. That's that's got to be a refreshing. That's got to be a little bit of a motivation there. Um, Rob, what are some of the common signs and maybe some of the symptoms that you've observed? Not only you know in the front line responders, but maybe some of the other administrators as well. What are some of the signs that you pick up that, man, maybe they, they're struggling with their mental health a little bit um, or just not all the way, you know, in the right place?
2: Um, I mean, there's some obvious signs. I mean, we can watch administrative things like the amount of time they're marking off, um, you know, last minute call-offs, sick mark-offs that are starting to add up and things like that. Uh, but the reality is, is as leaders, uh, it's our job to get to know the people we work around. And then the, the reality is, is we should just be watching them for changes in behavior. And if you really care about the people you work around and you pay attention to those people, you're going to notice when they're having an off day. Mm-hmm. But it's not just noticing it. It's then having the courage to go up to them and, and ask them about it and be direct about it. And, you know, I noticed you're a little off today, and uh, I just wanted to make sure everything was all right and maybe that's all they need maybe that's just what they need is somebody to you know show that compassion and just that little bit of care and uh that might get them over that hump or maybe they need a lot more help and now you've opened up that door that you're you're basically saying i'm i'm here i'm willing to help you
0: allowing them to see that it, you're comfortable with them opening up right and allowing Absolutely. them to say hey this you don't have to keep this in you're allowed to and coming from coming from towards the top too, that's got to make them feel like okay, wow, I can actually I can talk about this stuff. That's what we always hope for. That's awesome.
1: And I'll I'll add to that. I I think that um, oftentimes, especially the larger the organization, and um, as you move up through the chain of command, I think we sometimes forget that personal touch. Um, you know, I I've learned over the years as a as a Uh, frontline supervisor, so in our organization as a sergeant or as a lieutenant, it's really easy to show support to um, our employees, officers in in our organization. It's really easy because you're with them every day. You see them every day. But uh, when you're in the roles uh, that Rob and I are in, we don't see every single officer that's in our chain of command every day. Uh, And so I think it is important and kind of uh, I think I've I've learned this through the years that um, the less experienced an officer is, when something that to us might not be a big deal, something happens that we're like, oh yeah, I've seen that a hundred times, not a big deal, but to a a uh, a newer officer, somebody who doesn't have a, a ton of experience, to them, it's a huge deal, and so um, I know that. Uh, my coworkers, uh, my boss, we regularly reach out to um, officers who have been involved in critical incidents or incidents where they might have sustained even a minor injury um, just to say, hey, we're, we're thinking about you, we're praying about you, um, you're on our mind. Um, I know this week I reached out to an officer just to say, hey, I want to let you know we support you and we're working hard to put your situation into context. And um, I think for the less experienced officer to have somebody that's a deputy chief, an assistant chief, chief, reach out and say, hey, we're thinking about you. Uh, we're working for you. We support you. That There's a lot of organizations. That does not happen. That not even phone a call doesn't happen. Um, in fact, I mean, there's a lot of organizations our size and much larger that um, – you know the ivory tower exists, and people just don't communicate with uh officers that are every single day being put into stressful situations and it impacts people in different ways so yeah i think I think that that's really important uh to let people know that you support them and you're you're thinking about them uh,
2: and I think it also becomes contagious throughout the entire chain of command i mean if 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 you know that you know your assistant chiefs and chiefs are are calling uh, the officers and communicating with them in different ways, or going to visit them at the hospital and things like that. Um, we talk constantly about mentorship. That's just another way to mentor uh, the entire leadership of the entire organization. It just shows them that this is what our our values are. Our values are our people, and we we care about them, and we need to show them that.
0: And that's nice, too, because at that point, the culture is changing to a point where it doesn't just become a nice gest- gesture, it becomes the standard, right? Absolutely. And that's, that's when you start to notice a difference. That's really cool. Uh, Rob, I know one thing we talk a lot about at the
1: retreats, and I'd like to hear your opinion. Um, in your experience, have, do you think that stigma exists that prevents first responders from coming forward when
2: they feel a great deal of stress or they need help? I do. I mean, the stigma's is there. It, it's just, it's just going to be a constant battle as we continue to change culture. I mean, I'm very proud that within our organization, that we're constantly breaking down walls to, you know, uh, of where that exists, but I'm also not blind to the fact that we have, you know, we, we can't reach everybody uh, yet. And we're, we're continuously still working through those battles. So yeah, it absolutely exists. Um, and it's going to exist to different degrees across different levels of the department. It's going to, you know, exist differently in smaller departments versus a large department. Um, I would argue that we're in a luckier place, even though we have more people and we probably have more people that, uh, just because of sheer volume, uh, that a stigma actually exists. But I mean, if you're on a much smaller department where you're only around a few officers, you're going to be much more willing to be that one that opens up and, uh, you know, so yes, unfortunately, it does.
1: And I'll jump in on the uh, the next question is really about support. And um, although the question identifies support from uh, particular entities or people, um, when I when I talk a lot to groups, I talk about community. And I think for most people sitting around this table, when I if I were to ask you, what was your community growing up? And I know I I would say my community was my neighbors, it was the people I went to school with, my teachers, it was people that I played sports with, it was my church. That was community. Um, But uh, there's—and so it's it's important to have support from your community, your family, your church. Uh, If you're involved in education, it's important to have support from that group. And so uh, I know we hear uh, Anthony Johnson talk about that at our retreats, right, that Support system that broke down in his life mm-hmm. and how that impacted him, uh, but I think these days there's another support mechanism that, um, although our less experienced, uh, newer officers rely on, and that's social media support because their community is different than what all of our community has been. Right, and so so often now, community includes likes, follows live streams, and so when you do something um, that might not be popular amongst everyone—you're not making everyone happy, right? Um, when you do something that doesn't make the entire social media platform, whatever it is, happy, you get attacked on social media, especially if there happens to be a video or a photograph of something that happened, and— um, I mean, those attacks can come from all over the world, and they can be very, very personal. And uh, I think that has an impact. It weighs on first responders' shoulders. Um, you know, we've seen recently in, in the Midwest, Central Ohio, um, over the last three, four years, videotape almost every day of an officer or a firefighter doing something that will get clicks or um, live streams or something for whoever posted it, and usually it's not good. And so I often think about the first responders that are in those videos, man, the weight they feel on their shoulders is um, sometimes unbearable. Uh, but if there's not someone there uh, like Rob or myself to help them put those likes, clicks into perspective, um then it can be a pretty lonely feeling. So that support doesn't just come from within the agency, from the community, outside the agency, from the administration. It
0: comes from something that's kind of intangible, social media, people you'll never, ever see. I imagine that'd be a pretty consuming feeling too because like if I was in that situation, I'd, I would have a hard time just even setting it down for five minutes because I would keep refreshing like, what the next person say? What the next person say? What they say now? It'd be hard to get out of that mindset to just turn it off. Yeah. So yeah, that's a great. And
2: we try to tell people all the time to not check it, but we know reality again. Yeah. Like what you said, that's part of their community. So it's that context. When you can help them understand where that context comes from, that's a that's a really good point. Yeah. And and I'll tell you,
1: not just in our organization, but. Uh, anywhere in the country, if there's people I know that have been involved in a critical incident, one of the first things I ask them is, hey, do you have social media? Are you active on social media? Um, it is it is a rare occasion when uh, someone says, no, I don't have social media. That's very rare. And so one of my first pieces of advice is shut it down. Shut it all down. It's not worth it, um, yeah. And do not look at it because I know for me, I mean, the amount of stress— um, you know, I just read that good review for all of us, right, for First Responders Bridge, the podcast. Uh, we're fortunate. We don't have any uh, critics on there yet, uh, and I'm not inviting any critics, but, <laughs> but we don't have any critics on there yet. And so I would imagine when we do eventually have some criticism, it might affect all of us in some way. We might say, man, could I do better? Um, because we all want to do the right thing. Mm. We all want to do a great job. And so that uh, intangible of someone we've never met and will never meet criticizing us on a social media public platform um, affects people in different ways.
0: Rob, I kind of want to change gears a little bit and talk about self-care. I know Greg had talked about support a little bit, but I want to talk about the self-care of the, you know, the administrative role. Um, What role does self-care play? you know, for mitigating the effects of the admin stress? And then do you have any self-care practices that you have found helpful for you?
2: So I think it's incredibly important to practice self-care.
0: Um, you know,
2: I the one thing you always have to keep in mind as a leader is, is, although I can empathize with somebody and what they're going through, I can't take their problem on as my own. Mm. Uh, I can help them work through it. I can give them tools and resources. I can do everything I can for that person. But I always have to remember, though, that, you know, they carry a weight of this too. I can't just take their weight away from them. And that helps keep me a little bit more centered so that I'm not just adding on all this administrative stress because, you know, I have all these people telling me things that I've got to now try to fix for them. I'm not there to fix them. You know, I'm there to help them through it. And I think that that's an important, in my mind, you know, that's been important for me to, to help me through things. But I do, you know, a lot of if you want to call them simple things, you know, that help me get through a day and just they calm me down and they start as simple as, uh, breathing. I mean, I'm a big fan of just whenever I feel my stress coming on, I do, you know, some breathing exercises, just breathe in slowly, hold it for a few seconds and breathe out slowly. And that will always bring my heart rate down, calm me, uh, make me feel a little bit better, recenter me so that I can think clearer and, uh, make better decisions, you know, and lower that stress level. Um, and, uh, you know uh, one thing i i always share just cuz it helps me keep centered uh and and keep my stress level down is i'm a i'm a person that has to plan out my my entire week in advance um it doesn't mean i necessarily have to stick to every single thing as written but uh i think it's critically important for a person like me who has a lot of ups and downs throughout the day um a lot of different stresses that come on a lot of little fires that pop up that you have to put out it's it's really important to have this nice baseline calendar that I can look at, where I know where all my meetings are, where I know, you know, where I'm planning on uh, working out for the week, and you know, I'm trying my absolute best to stick to that uh, with what's in my
0: control, and that that helps me keep my stress level down. That's awesome. It keeps a little bit of the you know the unexpected away too. Helps. Absolutely. I'm the, I'm the same way with like planning. If I don't have like things coordinated, I hate being caught off guard by stuff. So yeah, that, that, And then
2: you also find yourself just not doing anything. You know, if you're looking at a blank calendar, right. I mean, I can I can fill time with nothing too. And, uh, <laughs> you know, so I, I like to fill my calendar and make it meaningful. And then, like I said, try my best to stick to that with what's within my
0: control. Are there any programs out there that exist, you know, within the first responder community to help with uh, mental health issues among leaders? I mean,
2: basically it's all the same that are there for every level of officers. I mean, obviously first responders bridge, you know, right. um, you guys see a lot of leaders that show up to there, whether or not they're just interested, uh, you know, in being a part of it or they're carrying those administrative stresses, which we find to be true a lot of times. And, um, they, they're just looking for tools themselves that both for their officers and for themselves. And, uh, you know, that's one, um, there's peer groups. Um, I think organizations, you know, just even different—if um, if you're a chief, chiefs organizations, that's that's going to be a group of peers that can help you work through something uh, and understand where you're coming from as well. And then just simply therapy, you know. Right. If you're into that, you know, find a good therapist, and that way they're unrelated to law enforcement, and you might feel comfortable with that as well. That's right.
1: Rob's one of the most even-keel— uh, administrators I've ever had the good fortune of working with. And in my opinion, um, when you're never too high and never too low, uh, that makes a lot of good things, makes makes a good athlete, uh, certainly makes a good manager um, and makes a really good people manager. Um, if you can keep emotion out of decisions, that is optimal uh, when you can do that. Um, but I'd love to hear Rob's advice for first responders uh, who, who are hopefully listening to this
2: podcast that are struggling, but they're afraid to reach out for help? I mean, my advice is there's absolutely people that care, uh, whether or not it's within your organization or peer groups in other organizations around you. There are people that care about you. There are people that want to help you through it. There are people that have lived through what you have lived through and made it through and you know, are in a, a, a happy place. And, uh, and there's a lot of confidential resources so the the people you talk to are not going to repeat what it is that you said. They're just going to help you get the tools and uh, things that you need to have a happy, healthy life.
0: Rob, before we go to our praise of the day and start to close out, do you have a, uh, a message you'd like to convey to, to the first responder leaders when it comes to, you know, addressing the admin stress that they may be facing?
2: Absolutely. Don't, don't be afraid to show that you're human. I mean, we're all just Mm -hmm. people in the end. You know, our job's our job, but we're all just people in the end, so don't be afraid to ask for help.
0: Your peers and officers will respect you more. I love it. Rob, thank you so much for taking the time to come and sit and talk with us tonight. Thank you, guys. It was awesome. And before we finish out, I want to do our praise of the day. This is a really cool one. This is out of Pinellas County, Florida. The corrections officer there, Anthony LaCourt, was on vacation with his family at... Anclote Island near Tarpon Springs, when he heard a lady screaming on the beach and he responded to learn that her two small children were dragged underwater by a riptide current and they were underwater. And uh, Lacrote jumped on his jet ski and then navigated, uh, navigated the water in circles until he found both children and then pulled them out of the current and rescued both of them. And he was actually named the 2023 corrections officer of the year for Pinellas county due to his heroic action so that is super cool that he was able to to save those kids and do it on a jet ski at the same time so that's that's awesome so uh very job well done to to that officer so we will uh, we will see you guys next time on first responders bridge the podcast and thank you so much for tuning in and listening every week we appreciate it